Well, amen. Good morning, church. I hope you're doing well. It's always a pleasure to get to gather together and uh, sing together, worship together, hear God's word together, uh, and fellowship together. We're so excited today about the extravaganza uh, that's going to go on after the 11 o'clock service. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming to the nine. This is huge for us uh, from a space issue uh, as far as kids' ministry. And so uh, thank you for bringing uh, your children waking up early. I know my, my wife was up, and, and, and I'm thankful that she was able to make the sacrifice to get up and, and bring the kids too. So thank you for that. Uh, I hope you'll come back uh, after the 11 o'clock service, but around 12.15 is probably when uh, you would need to be here. We'll be out back, and we would love for you to, to join in. It's going to be a great time. Uh, it's going to be great uh, to see each other. We have not done anything like this since the pandemic, so I'm super excited uh, about uh, hanging out with you guys and eating together and just spending some time uh, celebrating Jesus and, 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 and what Easter is all about. So today we're continuing on in our series called Knowing God. If you've been here, you know we've been walking through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and we've been learning that the same God in Genesis is the same God in Revelation, and we're learning about that, and we're learning uh, more and more about what it means to truly know Him. And so if you have your Bibles today, we'll be in the book of Joshua. Joshua. So uh, last week we were in the book of Exodus. And so I know you're thinking, Billy, well, you skip Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers. Uh, you can read through those. Uh, I would, I'm reading through those as well, but you can thank me later uh, for, for skipping those uh, to go through. I'm kidding. Deuteronomy is an incredible book. It's actually Jesus' favorite book. He quoted Deuteronomy more than any other book in the entire Bible uh, when he was on earth in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, But for the sake of time uh, and following along with the Jesus Storybook Bible that we're doing in our kids' ministry, uh, she jumps to the book of Joshua, so that's where we'll be uh, this morning. So Joshua chapter 1. Uh, we'll start in verse 1. Let me pray for us, and then we will jump in. Father, again, we love you. Uh, God, we are here for you. God, we want to meet with you. We want to know you. Uh, Father, we want to learn more about you. God, we want to follow you. We want to obey you. So, Father, as we open up your word, Lord, I pray you would speak to us. God, we believe your word is living and active. We believe uh, that you are a living God. The power of your Holy Spirit is at work. So, Father, I pray as we read your word, that you would do a work in our hearts. God, would you show us who you are? God, would you show us who we are? And God, would you show us how great of a Savior we have in Christ? We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 starts this way. After the death of Moses, we remember we've learned about Moses the past few weeks. Moses has now passed away, and now we're going to see another guy step on the scene by the name of Joshua, who is a familiar guy. We were introduced to him back in Exodus chapter 19, but now it's his time to step up and lead the people of God. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where, you're, where you set your foot as I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is not a small territory. This is 
called the promised land, right? This is a land called Israel nowadays. Uh, it's about 56,000 square miles. It's uh, technically about the same size uh, as Georgia. I think Georgia's a little uh, bigger. But one of the things that we see is that it's not by Joshua's strength and might that they're going to take this promised land. God gives Joshua the same promise that he gave Moses, the same promise that he gave Abraham, the same promise that we've seen throughout Scripture, that he will be with him, that he will fight for him, that he will go before him, he will be beside him. You see, confidence still, not only in the life of Abraham and not only in the life of Moses, but in the life of Joshua, doesn't come from looking inside of himself. It's not about self-help or finding the inner best version of yourself. Confidence in the Christian faith comes from seeing the one that's standing beside you, seeing the one that's living in you and has gone before you. It's fix your eyes on God, not on yourself. That's the picture of the Christian faith, and the same goes for us. Verse 6, God says, be strong and courageous because you, Joshua, will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Notice that word, underline it. He says it a few times. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Uh, one of my favorite pastors, David Platt, I heard him preach this one time, and, and it, it changed my life. I will never forget the message that he shared. I, I remember writing in my journal, I want to uh, share with you something that I wrote down uh, during this time. Uh, I heard him preach it. And he said something along these lines. He said, if you start from the back of verse 8, you can ask yourself the question, would you like good success in your life? Would you like to be successful in your work? Would you like to be successful in your family? Well, I think we all want good success. Do you, do you want your way to be prosperous? Do you want your way to be good? I think we would all say yes to that. Well, in this passage, what God is saying is that he has wired us to think this way so that we would want to be good, we would want to be prosperous, and we would want to be successful. So then Platt says the key to this comes in verse 8, and we have to see it. He says the key is that uh, this, this book of the law shall not depart from our mouths, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. He says it couldn't be any clearer. The key to a prosperous way, the key to good success, is meditating on the book of the law. Now, meditating is not something that we like to think about. Meditating on the word of God and being careful uh, to do that according to, to what we read. So what does it mean to meditate? He says this. It means we don't just read the Bible. We actually soak it in. We soak it in. We let it become a part of us. We memorize it. We reflect on it every way, in every way. We let it encourage us uh, during our Bible time. Don't just read the Bible and check off a box, but meditate, pray, reflect on what you're reading, not just for a few minutes a day. Joshua says day and night. 
That's the picture of success in the Christian life is, is, is knowing the word of God and obeying the word of God. He goes on to say in verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Verse 10, So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people to get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. This land would become known as the promised land. And when we read about the promised land in the Old Testament, uh, this promised land is a place where the Israelites would go and they would find great rest and provision. If you think about the life of the Israelites, they've been wandering in the desert by this point about 40 years. So they don't really have a home. They're kind of nomadic, so to speak. And so God gives them this promised land that he had promised before to Abraham. It's a homeland for the people of God. It's a place of great rest. And so there's three things that I want you to see uh, today. I want you to see, to see uh, first, the call of God. We talked about this in the life of Moses, but throughout the Old Testament, we've seen a few consistent themes when it comes to God calling someone to follow, right? So uh, we saw it in the life of Moses. We saw it in the life of Abraham. But we see three things. We see uh, a preparation. God usually prepares a person before he calls them to step out and do something for the kingdom of God. Two, we see a promise of God's presence, right? He promises, hey, this isn't dependent on you or your ability. This is dependent on my presence, me, the God that will be with you and will walk beside you. And then lastly, we see that God's call always has a commissioning. God calls us to send us, right? It isn't a call to sit on the sidelines. It's a call to be a part of his plan and what he's doing. So let's talk about these. One, letter A, God prepared Joshua. How did God prepare Joshua? God prepared Joshua through the discipleship of Moses. Uh, Joshua was Moses' one. Y'all have heard me use this terminology before. Who's your one? Who's the one person that you're investing your life in? The way that Jesus invested into the 12 disciples, the way that Paul invested into Timothy. God's called us to invest in others the same way. And I love this because Moses taught Joshua. Not only did he teach him what he knew about God, not only did he teach him about the law, but he also did life with Joshua. Right? They were friends, man. They were best friends. They walked through life. They did everything together. Everywhere Moses went, Joshua was right beside him. Everything God did in Moses' life, Joshua saw. He had a front row seat to it, and he would have heard Moses wrestle through everything God was asking him to do. This is discipleship. This is what discipleship is all about. Discipleship is not you coming here to listen to me. Discipleship is you in a one-on-one -on -one relationship with someone doing life together, learning about God together, them talking to you about what God is doing in their life, you talking about what God is doing in your life and walking through life and, and struggling together, wrestling through things together, allowing someone to have a front row seat 
into your relationship with God. I love this. Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. You can turn there and write it down. Probably don't have time to turn there. It says this. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Remember, I started this series with this passage. Moses would go into a tent. And he would speak face to face with God as one speaks to a friend. And then it says Moses would return to camp. But listen, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. He would never leave the tent, right? He saw what Moses was getting in the tent, a relationship with God. He said, bro, I'm not going anywhere. You can go, but I'm going to stay right here because this is where God is. Moses allowed Joshua into his relationship with God, so much so that the relationship that Moses had with God, Joshua wanted it. And so when you think about your relationship with God, how do we invest our life into other people? How do we disciple other people? We allow them into our relationship with God the same way Moses has done with Joshua. This is why verse 5 would have been so impactful for Joshua. It says, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Joshua had seen this firsthand. He had seen how uh, God had led Moses everywhere. He taught, brought him to the Red Sea. He had seen how Moses continued to give Moses the Ten Commandments. He had seen all of this stuff. And so he'd say, well, if God's going to be with me the same way he was with Moses, then I'm ready. I can, I can do this. But if it's dependent on me, I cannot do this. And so Joshua had learned so much. I want you to write this down. The most valuable thing that we can do on this earth is invest our lives into another. The most valuable thing that you and I can do on this earth is invest our lives, invest our relationship with God, invest everything God has done for us into the life of another person. That's called a legacy. That's what God wants us to be is legacy builders, to invest our life into other people. So let me ask you a question. Who are you investing your life in? As Moses did with Joshua, who is your Joshua? Who are you bringing in to have a front row seat to your relationship with God? As your pastor, I want to urge you, devote yourself to the life of discipling people. Devote yourself to it. Don't just make it a part of your life. It is your life. It is the most important thing you can do outside of your relationship with God is invest yourself into other people because we all spend this life investing in something. You get that, right? Everybody in this room is investing in something. Where is your time going? Where do you spend your energy? Where do you spend your money? All of that points you to what you're investing in. But there's a lot of things that we can invest in in this world that when we die, they're not going to matter. We can spend our life caught up in all of these worldly pursuits that at the end of the day, they don't matter at all. God says the greatest thing we can do is invest our life into another person. We see it in the life of Jesus. We see it in the life of the disciples. It is what the church is all about. The church is not about programs. Listen, it's not about doing something else. The church doesn't need something else to do. The church needs more people that are fired up about going and making disciples and investing their life into other people. This is what Christianity has always been about. If, if we're all about programs, then we've Americanized it. If you look in the book of Acts, it's about ordinary people like you and I going out and, and spending time with people, investing our life in people, and then sending them out to do the same thing. This is Christianity. It always has been. It always will be. It's not about a great sermon. 
It's about multiplication. It's about investing our life into people. So I ask you again, who's your one? As your pastor, I want to know, who is your one? Who are you investing your life in? And you say, Billy, I don't know. Well, let's pray about it. Let's think about it. Who are you investing? You say, Billy, well, my relationship with God is not worth investing in someone else. Yes, it is. If you have a relationship with God, it's worth investing. Probably God has somebody who needs exactly what you have. You're wrestling? Listen, we all wrestle. You're struggling? Listen, we all struggle. It's that transparency and authenticity in your relationship with God that invites an outsider in and says, hey, if that's what a relationship with God looks like, I can learn from this. Nobody wants to learn from somebody who has all the answers and who's perfect. Somebody, everybody wants to learn from somebody who's real, who's authentic, who will tell them, hey, I can't tell you everything to do right, but I can tell you a few things not to do. That's the type of people that God wants to use to build his kingdom, because it's not about our perfection. God's already won that. Christ has been perfect for us. We just pursue. Letter B, God promised his presence to Joshua. So not only did he prepare Joshua through Moses, but he gave him the promise. This passage, listen, every person I've ever heard preach this passage preached solely about the promise. This is the greatest passage in the entire Bible about the promise of God, Not only the promise, but the promises of God. I mean, it, the only thing that compares to it would probably be Romans chapter 8, which is huge as well. So did you notice the promises that were in this passage? There was a promise of victory, a great promise of victory. Uh, God said, Joshua, I've gone before you. The land has already been promised to you. It's already won. The victory's over. I've already prepared it. All you got to do is go and take it. That'd be like playing a baseball game when you already know you're going to win. How much pressure is off of you when you know the battle is already won? That's the promise that God gives us when we're a Christian. God's promise of security. He says, I'll never lead you, leave you or forsake you. How many of us need to hear this? God doesn't trade you in like a used car. You don't mess up one time and God says, hey, I'm done with him. God's committed to us because he's placed his spirit inside of us to lead us to finish the work that he started in us. We have a God that loves us, that pursues us, that walks beside us, that is as present as much in the hard times that he is in the good times. He actually does his greatest work in the hard times. God never gives up on us, never. His promise of security. He also gives his promise of presence. This is the greatest promise of the entire Bible. He promises Joshua, he says, listen, don't be scared. Don't be discouraged. You be strong and courageous. Why, Joshua? Because I'm gonna be with you wherever you go. There's no place that you can go. There's nothing that he's gonna call you to do where he's gonna give you a butt tap like we do in football and say, hey, go get it on your own. If you need me, just holler at me. That isn't what God does. God says, listen, what I'm asking you to do, you're gonna need me to do it, and I'm gonna be with you, right? We are, as, as Joshua was for Moses, we are an aide, a servant that works beside God to accomplish. We are a vessel that God wants to use. God doesn't need big and strong and talented people. He needs a willing vessel 
that's willing to trust in him, that's willing to trust his promises and obey him fully. That's what God needs. That's what he's used throughout the Old Testament. That's what he uses today. If you're walking around with a swag, God's probably not going to try to use you. But if you're self-aware enough to know that you're not all that and that you got some issues and that you're jacked up a little bit, and you know how much you need God, you're the proper candidate for God to do an incredible work in and through. That's who he chooses because he gets the glory, not us, right? It's not about us. It's about him and what he's trying to do. God never asks us to do something that he doesn't supply everything that we need to do it. God gave Joshua everything he needed. He gave him his victory. He gave him his power, his presence, he gave him his word as a blueprint to guide him along the way. God gave Josh, Joshua everything. What if I told you that he's done the same thing for you and I? He's done the same exact thing for you and I. All we have to do is walk in it. We learned in 1 Peter last year, listen, God has given everything we need for life and godliness. The spirit of God, the word of God, the power of God, the presence of God, the victory of God, all of those are yes and amen in Christ. In Christ, we have all of that. And God says, we just have to walk in it. As a Christian, God's presence is not just with you, it's inside of you. What could be better than Jesus walking beside you? Jesus inside of you. And not just inside of me, but inside of every believer in the world. Jesus isn't just preaching somewhere on a Sunday morning and we got to go see him. Jesus fills believers throughout the earth and throughout the world and works in them and through them. How awesome is that? As a Christian, God's word is available. Listen, the most printed book in the entire world is the Bible. We have access to it on our phone. We got 12 of them sitting in our room, in our, in our office, in our homes. All we have to do is open it and read this God's blueprint. You make known to me the path of life. Where's the path of life? God, it's right here. And listen, we don't have to read it in Old English. We don't have to read it in Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. Somebody's already done some incredible work for us. These authors of the Bible, these critics of the Bible have broken it down and put it in a language where you and I can understand. God's given us his word. He's given us access to the blueprint to walk in his victory. And lastly, as a Christian, you don't fight for victory. We get to live out of victory. We get to fight from it. This is incredible to understand. Listen, quit performing for God to love you. When you become a Christian, everything needed to satisfy God happened in Christ. The victory was won over death, over sin, over your flaws, over the, over the enemy that's trying to destroy you. So literally in Christ, we fight from victory, not for it. All we have to do is walk in the victory that God has already given us. For some of us, if we believe this, it would change everything. I know it. Listen, there's nothing more freeing than understanding the promises of God. Think about it. Christian, how would your life change if you truly believed that God was with you and in you? wherever you went. How, how, would you, how would you embrace circumstances in your life if you knew that God was present with you in them? Not only present with you, but in you. It would change. There would never be 
aloneness or fear or insecurity because you know God is with you and God is in you. Christian, how would your life change if you trusted that the victory had already been won? If you quit trying to perform for God, to try to win some sort of rat race to, to, to prove yourself to people in this world. If you quit posting up on Facebook and social media to try to show somebody that you're good enough and you begin to trust that God says in Christ that you are good enough and the work is finished, if you begin to do that, how, what would God do in our life if we trusted that? Christian, how would your life change if you quit trying to figure things out on your own and you started listening to the God's word and not only listening, but doing what it told you to do? It's so simple. God knows I'm so stupid. He says, Billy, I'm going to give you a book. Everything you need to do, everything that you are, not only am I going to give you a book, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to overcome yourself. And I'm going to give you the blueprint to live the life that I've called you to live. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Letter C, not only did God prepare Joshua, not only did he promise his presence to Joshua, but he commissioned Joshua. This is important for us to understand. God never calls us without simultaneously sending us. That makes sense? God calls us to send us. He is a sending God. Nobody ever meets God and says, hey, I think I'm going to just sit right here and do nothing. Like never in the entire Bible, there's times where people have to wait on God as God's doing something, but never does he call us to sit. He calls us to go. Let me show you this. The call of faith is a call to action. God never saved anyone to sit on the sidelines, but to go. Let's think about it. The call of Abraham, go to a land that I will show you. The call of Moses, go to Egypt and set my people free. The call of Joshua, go and take the promised land. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, God's call on our life. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. It's as clear as, as, as you can, as, as glass. God calls us to send us. The call of God on our life is to go and make disciples. Listen, Christianity is a movement. It is a movement of disciple-making disciples. Here's the crazy thing about a movement. It moves. It, everywhere it goes, it's like, a, it's like a good disease that just spreads everywhere. It's literally like a pandemic. That's why nothing has been able to destroy the movement of Christianity. When you persecute it, it grows faster. Throughout the book of Acts, we see this movement that just continues to move and move. It takes new ground. Uh, in Iran right now, the biggest revival in the world is breaking out. And people are being killed. They're being persecuted like crazy. But God's the gospel is just exploding. Churches are popping up everywhere. People are being baptized and saved through dreams. It, it, persecution. Hey, separate them where they can't talk about it. God will speak through dreams and visions. And save people. And then they'll speak to other people and save more people. This is our God, a movement of people. So this begs us to ask a question. If we aren't moving, then we are probably not a part of the movement. What do I mean by that? How would your life change if you began to take God's call on your life seriously? 
Listen, we live in the most distracted world, really the most distracted country on earth, in my opinion. I've never lived in another country, so I don't know, but when I think about our country, the word I think about is distracted. Because God literally left us one thing to do, the call of God to go and make disciples. But there's so many things to sidetrack us. Listen, I've sat in auditoriums full of people and preached about making disciples. I've been to India. I've been to Africa. I've been to several places to preach on it. And I say, hey, how many of you guys have made a disciple? I've been to churches. And not many people can say, hey, I'm actively right now investing my life into someone else. This should not be. This is, this is so clear in Scripture that God has a call on our life, and that call is to make disciples. So are you a part of the movement? We need to jump on board and start taking the call of God seriously in our life. Number two, not only do we see the call of God, but we see the obedience of Joshua. Joshua may be my favorite character in all of the Bible, other than Jesus, obviously. But I love the book of Joshua. I love the book of Joshua. I love it because Joshua is a man's man. He is a man's man, and God does an incredible work. So let's read verse 6 uh, through 9 one more time. God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. He says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Third time's a charm. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's important for us to understand that the main character in the book of Joshua is not Joshua. The main character in the book of the Joshua is the God of Joshua. Actually, the main character in the entire Bible is God, right? The book of the Bible is a book about God. So as we do it, but that doesn't mean we can't learn from people in the Bible because Joshua is a man just like you and I. And so we can learn from the life of Joshua. I want us to learn, namely, about obedience because I believe he models it for us so well. Letter A, obedience isn't always easy. Uh, for Joshua, it, it, it required strength and courage. Listen, three times God says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Joshua, have I not commanded? Be strong and and courageous. You can almost hear it get louder and louder and louder, right? It's God giving him exactly what he needs because obedience isn't always easy. Why does God tell him three times to be strong and courageous? Because Joshua was probably scared. He says, Joshua, don't be fearful. Joshua, don't be discouraged. That meant Joshua was like you and I when God asked him to do something. It wasn't that easy. Like he was telling him, hey, you need to go and overcome a lot of things to get to this promised land. It wasn't like, hey, there's a land that's sitting over here that nobody's on. No, Joshua had to go through many battles to get there. Not only that, he had to lead a, a group of grumbling people. The wars to me weren't the hardest part that he had to fight. The hardest thing was he had to lead a group of people that literally took 40 years to get to a place that literally should have been a couple days. 
because of their complaining and groaning and constantly wanting things. They weren't uh, what you would call a good team. But God didn't give up on them. He continued to. And so Joshua was scared. He was discouraged. He was nervous. He was insecure. But because what he was asking him to do wasn't easy. And here's the thing. What God may ask you and I to do on this earth isn't easy. Mainly because obedience uh, calls us to entrust our life to another person. Obedience for us requires us to give up control. And I don't know about you, but giving up control of my life is, is difficult because I trust me, right? I trust that I'm gonna make the best decision for me the same way you probably trust the same with you. But listen, when we find God, we find someone that we can trust more than ourselves. It's an illusion. You really can't trust you because you choose sin and sin leads to destruction. But God leads to life. God leads to joy. God sees the big picture and can lead you to exactly where you are supposed to be, right? Notice in verse 9, uh, in the face of all of this hard obedience, he tells him, he commands him. This is a big deal. Have I not commanded you, be strong and be courageous. Do not be fearful. Do not be dismayed. It's important for us to understand that being strong and courageous in the Christian life is a command. It's not an option, right? God's not like, hey, uh, if you feel like it, hey, be strong and courageous. Hey, when I ask you to do something and you're scared to death, uh, it's okay to be scared to death. It's okay to be scared to death, but the obedience part is to be strong and courageous. Why? What does it mean to be strong and courageous? Spiritual strength, write this down, and courage, listen, is the ability to hear the word of God believe the word of God, and obey the word of God, right? So three things, hear the word of God, believe the word of God, and obey the word of God. When he says be strong and courageous, that's what he's talking about. Hear my promise, Joshua, hear what I've done, obey what I'm asking you to do, and believe it. Believe that it's true, because when God gives a promise, it's always true. It never comes back void. And here's the thing that we need to understand. If we are going to live for God, it is necessary for us to do those three things. We gotta hear the word of God. We gotta believe the word of God. And we gotta do what God is asking us to do. And then not only does he command you to be strong and courageous, but he contrasts it with another command to not be fearful and discouraged. Right? How many of us would say there's been times in our life where we've been fearful, we've been scared, or we've been uh, fearful of what's to come, or we've been discouraged? Listen, I could explain my life in that many times. Pretty much any time God asks me to do something or any time I get my eyes on myself, I become fearful because I can't see the big picture. I don't know the future, but God does. And so why can God command us to not be uh, fearful and discouraged, but be strong and courageous? The reason he can do that is because he's saying, Billy, quit focusing on you and focus on me because I've already won the battle. I already know where we're going. All you got to do is get on the blueprint. Get on the path to life. Listen, hear, believe the word of God and obey what it's asking you to do. So what is it that God's asking you to do that produces fear and discouragement in your life? 
Because listen, if God's asking you to do something, usually it's going to be quickly followed by fear and discouragement. What step of, of obedience is it that you have been putting off? Because it's not easy or because it's scary or because you don't feel adequate to do what God's asking you to do. Would you heed the word of God to Joshua today? Be strong. Be courageous. Hear the word of God. Believe the word of God and do what he's asking you to do. Take the next step because growth and comfort are opposites. They do not coexist. We can't be comfortable and be growing spiritually. Uh, letter B, obedience doesn't always make sense. Listen, one of the things that you'll see in the life of Joshua is that God asked him to do some things that really didn't make sense, right? Like one of the things was uh, he came to a river and the river was at flood stage. That means this thing was like, I mean, crazy. Think about the Altamaha when they, you know, when, when, it, when it rains a ton. This is just a huge river that if you jump in there, you probably ain't gonna make it across because it's so swift. Well, the Jordan River was in the way of where the, God had called the Israelites to go. And so God comes to Joshua and he says, hey, I need you to cross this river. And once you stick your foot in the river, no, he doesn't just say stick your foot. He says, go stand in the Jordan River and when you stand there, I'll part it. All right, so he's like, hold on now. Moses just had to stick the staff down, right? That's what I'd be thinking. He stuck the staff, water's parted, right? Can I do that, God? No, he says, go stand in the river. And when you stand, when your feet hit the river, boom, it'll part and you can walk across on dry land. That doesn't make sense. If you jump into a flooding river, you are probably going to die. But what did Joshua do? He trusted God. He stood in the river and what did it do? It parted. Another situation, Jericho, we've read it. To our kids, hopefully over and over, we, we've seen it throughout. Jericho is a story where God asked Joshua to do something that doesn't make sense. Joshua is a sophisticated, powerful military leader. This dude knows what he's doing. He knows more about the military than any of us. God comes to him and says, hey, you got the biggest city on the planet right now. This thing is fortified. It's a huge fort. The walls of this thing are huge. I mean, it's a double lane I-16 highway all around the front of it. And he says, and I'm going to tell you what to do. Drop all your military stuff, because you know Joshua's already strategizing. Here's what, here's what I need you to do. Go get your band. And what we're going to do is march around this thing seven times. And on the seventh time, I want you to tell Andrew to hit the electric guitar real loud. And these walls are about to fall down. Don't you know in that minute, Joshua was sitting there thinking like, you are nuts. There's no way that these walls are going to fall down when we blow a trumpet. But what did Joshua do? He heard the word of God and he did what God asked him to do. And because he did that, he got to see God do some incredible things. So let me ask you, was it, what is it that God's asking you to do right now that doesn't make sense to you? The reason you won't step is because it doesn't make sense. Joshua would say, do it. If God's asking you to do it, he's got a plan. And his plan's probably not about making you look smart. It's probably more about glorifying himself. God didn't want to use Joshua's great military skills. He wanted to show Joshua that he was the great military leader. He wanted Joshua to trust him, not trust in his own ability. That is the God of the Bible. And then lastly, obedience is always worth it. Joshua 24, I, I can't read it, but if you bounce there, Joshua gets before the Israelites at the end of his life. 
and he gets before him, you know it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? We put it on our, our wall step. Most of us don't even know what it means or the context of it. Joshua gets to the end of his life. He's got the Israelites. These guys are going nuts. They're making promises that they can't deliver on. Hey, God, we're going to listen to God. And Joshua's like, well, y'all just didn't listen to God for 40 years. What do you mean you're going to listen to him? You hadn't listened to him now for, for not, a, not a day, but like hours, right? I talk to you guys, get you fired up about obeying God. You leave, the first thing you do is build an idol. And Joshua's to the point, he says, listen, I don't know what you're going to do. But here's the best thing that I've ever learned to do. So simple and stupid. Serve God. Listen to God and do what he tells you to do. Obey God because the one thing that Joshua had figured out in his life is that the definition of success in the Christian life is obedience. It is obedience. He had allowed his definition of success to change. Joshua didn't see success as being a good person or making a lot of money or having the nice car and having the American dream. He saw his definition of success as God's definition of success. Obedience. Listen to God and do what he tells you to do. If he wants you to be rich, he'll give you the money. But you don't need all that. What you need to do is listen to God and do what he asks you to do. It's the same thing Paul knew. In Acts 20, 24, he says, listen, hey, I know I'm going to Jerusalem to be killed. But my life doesn't matter to me. What matters is that I listen and obey God no matter what the cost is because I know and I've figured out that success in this lifetime is about listening to God and doing what he says. So let me ask you a question. What is your definition of success? If you look and think about the end of your life, when you look back and you gauge, did I live a successful life? What are you gauging that on? But what is a successful life to you? Is it being a good person? Is it making a lot of money? Is it, is it building up your career and doing this or doing or visiting great places on this earth or whatever it is, insert it in the blank? Or is it listening to God and doing what he asks you to do? Is it obedience? The last thing I want to show you in the book of Joshua is probably the coolest thing, the sufficiency of Christ. You know, the name Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Right? Even in the New Testament, the King James Version in Hebrews actually translate Joshua into Jesus. is quite confusing and a bad translation of it. But ultimately what we see is that Jesus and Joshua are the same name. And so what do we do with that? Well, I'll tell you what we do. We understand that Joshua for us is symbolic of what Jesus is trying to do for us. Joshua was doing for the Israelites what Jesus would come and do for us. He was leading them to a promised land. What is the promised land? Why, why are they fighting all these people to get to a promised land? What's the big deal with the promised land? Why not go over here and get this land where you don't have to fight anybody? Why do you go get that land? Well, first it was God's land. He wanted that land. But secondly, that land was specific. It was a place of rest. It was a place of provision. It was a place uh, that, that was God's blessing was on this specific place, and he wanted it. Well, think about, uh, the, the Bible calls it a place of rest. And it says that when we find Jesus, the same rest the Israelites found in the promised land, we find a greater rest in the work of Jesus. Listen to, Ma listen to Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. This is what Jesus is talking about. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The same thing that the promised land meant for the Israelites is, the, is what Jesus does for us. Listen, are you looking for rest? Are you looking for rest for your soul? Are you looking for provision? Are you looking for someone you can trust that you can build your life on that's not going to crumble? It's Christ. There's no greater promise in the entire Bible than what, that when you come to Jesus, you find rest. It's the opposite of work. Because when we rest in Christ, the work he asks us to do is restful work. And God wants to do that for us. So right where you are, I want you to bow your head. I, I don't know what the message of Joshua means for you this morning, but what I do know is that God is speaking to us in this room right now. For some of us, it's, we need to take a next step. I don't know what the next step is, but I know it might be hard and I know it might be uncomfortable. But here's what I know. You can trust God. For some of us in this room, our life is not characterized by rest at all. We probably say, man, that's the last thing I would characterize my life by is rest. I feel like I'm working harder and I'm busier than I've ever been. Well, that's not the promise of Christ. Christ says, if you come to me, you'll find rest for your soul. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. So maybe this morning, some of you guys have, have thought about when you think of God, you think of a tyrant that's asking you to work harder. But that's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is to come to Christ and believe that he has done everything necessary to save you. You don't have to stack your chips anymore. It's not more good chips than bad chips that saves you. It's the chip of Jesus Christ. It's faith in his finished work. So let me ask you a question. If you're here today, you'd say, Billy, I've never placed my faith in Christ. I've constantly worked to try to earn God's love or earn God's favor. But today, I want to put my faith in Christ. Not only do I want to put my faith in Christ, I want to show that faith by being obedient to what God asked me to do. I'll go wherever he asked me to go and do whatever he asked me to do because I can trust him. If that's you, then today's the day of salvation. And you'd say yes to God. If that's you in this room and you say, Billy, that's what I want to do today is surrender my life to God. I want to find this rest that Jesus is talking about. Would you raise your hand and say, Billy, that's me. Amen. Anybody else? You'd say, Billy, that's me, 100%. You know God's talking to you. For the rest of us, if you're in this room and you'd say, I know obedience is hard. And I know obedience doesn't always make sense. But I know God has put something on my heart this morning. He's spoken to me through his Holy Spirit. It's been on my heart. It's been on my mind. It won't go away. God's asking me to do something. Raising your hand doesn't do anything, but here's what I want to pray for you. If that's you, you'd say, Billy, I know there's a next step, and I'm, really, I'm willing to take it. Today's the day I'm going to stand and say I'm going to serve God the same way Joshua did. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. You'd say, Billy, that's me for sure. That's me. So, Father, that's my prayer this morning. God, we want to know you. God, we want to follow you. God, we want to hear from you. God, would our lives as a church be characterized by strength, and courage, not in ourselves, but in you. God, we don't have to fear because you're with us. God, you've gone before us. You're behind us. You're under us. You're over us. You're all around, and you're leading us by your word. 
So God, I pray for the person in this room this morning, God, that knows they need to take a next step. God, would you give them the courage and the strength, not in themselves, but through the power of your Holy Spirit to step. And Father, I pray when they step that they would find you as the biggest treasure that they've ever found and that they would keep stepping and keep stepping and keep stepping until you do some incredible things with their life. God, I pray for the people in this room that feel like they've arrived. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would be characterized by a willingness to continue to step for you. Not because Billy said it, but because the Holy Spirit is speaking through the word of God and we're listening and obeying. So God, would you characterize us by that? God, would we be a church that listens and obeys? Father, that's my prayer this morning. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.